Hi everyone, I'm Ben. And I'm Will. And uh, welcome to this series of Will and Ben, the Wildlife Men. Hey Ben, how are you? I'm good, Will, yeah, <laughs> thanks. It's uh, so stormy down here on the scene at the moment. It's insane, the waves are awesome. <laughs> yeah, I've been seeing a few videos of yours and a few friends down in Cornwall. The crazy waves at the moment. Very different to this very wet valley I'm in. But I'm back in a very wet Welsh valley. So I've returned from the Pyrenees, um, which I'm quite sad about. I could have stayed there for mm. ages. It was so beautiful, but there was just so much snow. Like the, the migration season had ended because, um, well, probably the insects stopped coming through, but the, the, the road had just completely iced over and then completely snowed over. I went off to get the traps on the very last day because um, it was like the one break in the weather and I we couldn't get the car up to the top so I had to run up to the top of the mountain wow. and then <clears throat> the <clears throat> the pass no the road to the pass or the path to the pass was such that um, the wind had made all the snow drift and so for like 100 200 meters it was like the snow was up to my waist wading wow. through and then getting onto the pass, it was like the most ridiculous conditions. The mountain absolutely did not want me up there. Like the, there was a hundred kilometer, hundred kilometer hour winds. It was mental, and like the ice, like this, the wind it picked up was piling through the pass. Goodness. And um, it was on the on the the thermometer. It was minus seven, but I looked on the app weather forecast app afterwards and it gives you like a, a real feel temperature and it was minus 23 Jeez, what is that 23 incredible yeah i uh, just ran up there Whoa. everything was covered like just wow. barely my eyes were open <laughs> picked up the moth trap it freight oh, the bloody insect trap for the insects was frozen to the ground i had to like <laughs> pry open the rocks and <laughs> show it all in and carry it back down as well oh my gosh this is extreme exhausted. extreme <laughs> yeah. insect research extreme. here <laughs> yeah properly extreme so no, i wish i'd thought harder and got it yeah got all the stuff down a bit earlier but oh well yeah then travel back up to france yeah um and return to the valley which is yeah. lovely back so in the nice. soggy soggy whales <laughs> yes exactly i went for yeah. a run the other day along along offers dike it was just like basically a swim <laughs> <laughs> yeah sounds about the same as up here to be honest yeah all right what about wildlife have you seen any cool cool stuff um yeah it's, it's been very autumnal it's been so nice seeing like red wings and field where field fairs and things um particularly in like any hedgerows that have got berries in you know just full of thrushes and, and finches and um, you know the bird life like that that's been arriving which has been really nice and hearing their calls at night standing outside our house sometimes in the evenings and, and overnight when it's a bit calmer with the starry sky and then occasionally hearing a, a red wind going over that's really cool um, and then just today I was just down on the tip of the fin watching uh, chuffs in the wind it's just like you know I mean you've seen the, the alpine chuffs in the Pyrenees recently and they're, they're absolute you know acrobats in the air they're incredible and playing in the sort of 40 or 50 mile an hour westerly wind it's, oh, it's just such a cool sight it's amazing and they they love it don't they it's, yeah. it's proper that's joy it. like it's exactly. absolutely they really love it that's and the coolest thing yeah <laughs> seeing them wheeling around and yeah definitely smiling as they go through. exactly but yeah we're talking as you're chatting about those red wings like amazing these things are migrating at night and this week's podcast has a much more human element to it, doesn't mm. it? And 
yeah we're going to be talking more about how i mean focusing on insects because i'm doing it again of course but the uh, <laughs> we're going to talk about how these animals are able to be tracked like how would you know that your rare your red wing is going and all about the different ways of of tracking through and it's something that you looked at a bit in your third year project wasn't yeah, it exactly for university yeah yeah tracking animal tracking i think we're both quite you know we're really keen in this sort of field of research really both on my either ends you on the the sort of pioneering end of the insect migration and, and myself a bit more on the sort of seabird side but it it's so fascinating and uh, yeah i can't wait to to delve into this uh, podcast today and uh, hear a bit more about it perfect it's such an exciting new area of study let's go do it. Insect travel is an area nearly completely unknown, in part down to the human refusal to believe that something so much smaller and seemingly simpler than ourselves can complete journeys easily comparable to our own, and much further with far less technical help. Indeed, it was barely 150 years ago when we still believed that swallows spent their winters at the bottoms of ponds rather than travelling to Africa. So it is no wonder that we're taking a little longer to realise that even smaller animals are capable of such feats. To unravel these mysteries, we need to track the insects. And this is the story of the burgeoning world of following insects on migration. Technology has been a limit to how we track the insects. Unlike a large migrant bird such as an arctic tern, we cannot put GPS trackers on insects because they are simply too small. So other methods need to be dreamed up in order to find out exactly where these insects are going. This field of work is only in its infancy, but there are some fascinating stories coming out. High in the Swiss Alps in an autumn 60 years ago, the great migration researcher Aubert caught four kilograms worth of marmalade hoverflies at Col de Bretelet, and he marked them all with bright paint. He then transported the hoverflies, thousands and thousands of hoverflies, 33 kilometres northeast to another mountain pass called Col de la Croix, and released them. Back at Rattelet, the hoverflies were found passing through just three hours later, showing that these insects are purposefully moving south in the autumn migration season. These mark-release-recapture studies were vital in the 20th century for unearthing the secrets of migration. In America, the monarch butterfly's remarkable annual movement was discovered through this method. As I'm sure many of you know, the monarchs travel right up into Canada from California and Mexico to spend their summers in the north to avoid the dry south. On the return journey, the organisation Monarch Watch distributes over a quarter of a million tags to volunteers in America. In the autumn season, these volunteers are encouraged to capture the monarchs, attach the uniquely numbered tag, which is basically a sticker, to the hindwing and release the butterfly. The monarch completes its southward migration when it finds itself in the very same giant redwood forest that its ancestors woke up from in the last spring. Researchers can now go through these forests looking for tagged butterflies and, based on their unique tag code, work out a minimum distance the insects has travelled on migration. But what if you could work out where the insect has come from without marking it in the first place? Could you stand on a Pyrenean pass 
and capture an insect and know where it has come from? Well, potentially yes, with new methods using isotopes. An isotope is one of two or more species of atom of a chemical element, such as hydrogen, with the same atomic number and placement in the periodic table, but differs in the atomic mass and physical properties. Rain, of course, is water, and so contains hydrogen, and the type of hydrogen isotope it contains varies with rainfall gradients. Because of this variation, maps can be made of the type of hydrogen isotope present in different geographic areas. Plants will take up this hydrogen as they grow, and any insect that feeds upon the plants will therefore also take up the isotope. Marmalade hoverfly larvae feed exclusively on aphids, which themselves suck the sap from the plant upon which they are laid. This means that the hoverflies too contain these location-specific isotopes. And work is being completed at a rapid rate to map out the isotopics landscape of Europe, and, once completed, it may well be possible to catch an insect anywhere in Europe, or maybe Africa if the insect has come from Europe, and infer its place of birth based purely on isotopic data. This isotopic technique, however, much like the mercury capture studies, does not tell you the specific routes the animals are taking. To do this, you need to attach a tracker to the insect itself. Now, only the biggest insects can carry our smallest trackers, and these are the dragonflies, butterflies and moths. Currently, GPS trackers which use satellite data to infer location are too heavy for these insects due to the large battery involved. Because of this, tiny, very high frequency, or VHF, radio tacks are used. Researchers, including my friend Miles Menz in Germany, are taking large hawk moths such as death's head hawk moths or convolvulus hawk moths and attaching these tiny little VHF tags weighing just a few milligrams to their backs. The tag emits a beep on a radio frequency which Miles and the team can follow and home in on. This allows highly accurate tracking, but unfortunately there is a problem. The beep is only emitted over a relatively short distance due to the small battery size, meaning the distance you can track the moth, unless you're running on su- alongside, is severely mi- limited. To get around this, the researchers came up with an ingenious solution. Just follow the moths in a plane. And that is exactly what they did. After releasing the tag moths at night, they jump in a small Cessna and set off after them. They follow the moths for kilometres, tag locations blipping on the green plane's green-hued radar. Occasionally, they have to circle to keep the, much, keep the much slower moths close enough to the receivers to track, garnering incredible insect flight paths, hundreds of kilometres long through the apps. But what if, what if, you could track an insect the entire length of its migratory journey? Researchers from my own university, the University of Exeter, have put GPS trackers on the backs of Arctic terns, tracking their movement from their nesting grounds in Iceland in the Arctic Circle right down into the Antarctic, a round-trip distance of 35,000 kilometres. We have mentioned before that GPS trackers are currently too big and too heavy to sit on the backs of moths and other insects during migration, but with the absolutely rapid rate of advancement in the mobile-slash-wearable tech industry, I doubt it will be long before we are creating powerful batteries small enough and light enough to fit on the back of a moth. And then, what journeys, hardships, 
wonders will we encounter from the world of insect migration? That is just, it's just mind blowing, isn't it? It's, it just gets me so excited, this sort of thing. I just, I, I just love it. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just so, there's so much potential. And uh, as I kind of briefly mentioned, getting all these new, like the new Apple Watch, uh, all these new sorts of wearable tech or phones, like everybody wants longer lasting batteries in their phones. Yeah. So you can just like not charge and not worry if you go out and like stay out all night, stay at mates, whatever, yeah. and not bring your charger. And that just getting more battery power and like smaller, more efficient batteries is going to be brilliant for the, the animal biologging, the yeah. animal tracking of migration. Yeah, and so, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, it's, it's just brilliant. And it's, it's cool how everything like interlinks, but yeah, it's yeah that, and it's exactly like you were saying when I was <clears> doing some <throat> tracking on the Manx Shear waters on Bardsey, the devices <clears> that we were using were literally sports loggers that people use for logging their runs and things that they have like on their on themselves or in their pocket. And we were taking the device that's inside it out of it, putting it in a water <laughs> and then putting that on the birds. And like you say, it's, it's only going to get better as like the demand for like smaller, more lightweight, more powerful, longer lasting batteries, you know, increases, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Like Premier League footballers, they're covered in um, little bits of trackers. Like I was even looking at these so you've got heart rate monitors on their chest but even in the in the insoles of their their shoes to wow. track other sort of biometrics and so and all of these things can be yeah. downscaled and put on to yeah. and it's it's fascinating i mean it's not just insects and birds right you got it in whales and turtles yeah. and basically anything that can be tracked is it's... is being tracked at the moment and yeah. no it's just fascinating just fascinating what what do you think would be the next stage for like the application of this sort of thing within your work and your what would you like to see within your work in the insect migration study? So we're not there quite yet with mm. the the big tags like the harmonic radar and definitely not the GPS for hoverflies at least because they are just too small. But I don't think it'd be too far off. But the really exciting thing um, is going to be the is isotopes mm. they're, they're sort of a complicated chemical you uh, explained them well on the things so, but um <clears throat> yeah it's just a, a really cool tool because you can um yeah hopefully eventually take a sample from our pyrenean mountain pass and then work out based on like rainfall gradients where it, it might have been born wow. and and it's such a uh, i don't know what the word is, but it's such a easy way of traffic tracking who was <laughs> that in the background the there? <laughs> una una the dog um Classic. very oh, that's such a good dog but yeah no <clears throat> yeah and but yeah you can just take an insect and just look at its isotopes they mm. like take a bit of its wing sample or something and then find out where it's from and it means that also you don't really have to do these really long-term uh, studies or high intensity and high sort of money or high cost things because yeah. you go literally like I was reading this paper today about um, a guy in the 1960s or something and he was in in the Himalayas and he found a few dragonflies like, which had died on the glaciers 6,000 meters up in, <laughs> up in the Himalayas That's and you could just pick those up on a walk take them back and 
like analyze the isotopic yeah. uh, constituents and work out where they're from. I yeah. mean, obviously, the resolution of the isotope maps isn't quite there yet, but it's going to be so close. Yeah. And it's only going to get better with time, which is just, yeah. <clears throat> oh, it's just faster. And so this year in the Pyrenees, we collected quite a lot of hoverflies um, for exactly that reason. Uh, lots of isotope data, so hopefully we'll be able to get a lot out. Now, you also got a few other insects, um, even bumblebees, because there was later on in the season, so cool, we were seeing bumblebees heading south and big queens, and they're all queens of the buff tail bumblebee, Bombus terrestris. Yeah. And they were all queens and they were all heading south. And so I'm sure that wow, that's quite cool. Something. Yeah, and in fact, this week there was a paper out all about bumblebee migration. Really? Um, these counts, huge numbers coming across from um, England to the Netherlands, wow. and all these roots of insects. But I think talk more about roots next time. In yeah, that's it, but, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> that's the next stage of this. Yeah, insect migration yeah. saga we're we, going on. <laughs> we always knew it was going to be a big one for that wasn't it <laughs> no but that that is yeah. remarkable isn't it? i think i've still got just you saying that then if you're going to be doing some analysis i've still got some mm. samples that i collected um of marmalade hoverflies out on the islet in the azores on the azores oh so cool because that that's cool. that's the super cool thing like the you're on the azores they're probably like was Occam's razor that the most likely thing is that they've just been blown out by storms okay. yeah but but yeah like, as we mm. last week with the origins of migration podcast yeah. like they've got to be going somewhere and as I was chatting to you off off air the there was um these dragonflies which turned up on the bikini atoll which is like this little group of islands yes. in the Pacific, which got were nuclear testing sites, so everything was destroyed. And then these big old um, globe skimmer dragonflies were the first ones to turn up in the middle of the Pacific. It's just mind blowing. Like, yeah, there's it got takes... to be yeah huge. Like when you, right, you can these if in they see they've got multiple records of these insects on these little islands like the Azores, and with isotope data you can work out where they're from, yeah. and uh, it's going to be so cool. It's such an exciting time to be in like migration research. Well, totally. Yeah. I mean, obviously insects is a really exciting sort of like cutting edge development, but mm. to be honest, also songbirds, you know, whilst we yeah. do have a lot of information from ringing recoveries and things, that's very limited and it, they're only just becoming, you know, available to be able to use, um, you know, sort of GPS loggers and things to be able to put on, you know, small things like, you know, pied flycatchers, for instance, they're still not really known exactly where they overwinter in Africa. So it's like just on the edge, you know, um, <laughs> it's very, it's really. Like when we were at uni before, yeah, before we went to uni, like firecrests, yeah. we barely saw any and like yeah. yellow-browed warblers. And then we went down to Cornwall yeah. and they were suddenly everywhere and the more and like a firecrest what is it like five grams or something yeah, exactly. yeah. it's not incredibly different to a couple of bumblebees yeah. and so yeah. like you need the tiny bit tiny tiny tags to keep going but no, yeah there's going to be an explosion in this in this area of research isn't there it's um, definitely yeah and they're starting to use they're starting to use like biologged birds as means of like looking at other things where they are so putting other devices on them to measure environmental variables and things um so they're, <laughs> they're using albatrosses for instance 
um, to look at like illegal trawlers out in the middle of the Pacific. <laughs> they're analyzing the data and they have like a device that tells them if it comes into range of like the, the signal that these, these trawlers give out. And they're able to look on the map and see where they are congregating and things. And they're basically showing them where the location that these illegal trawlers are. And so there's just all, they're starting to use these sort of things and like see sea temperatures on, I can't remember what mammal it is or a turtle, but they're, they're using like sea temperature loggers on these species because they're going to where no other people or devices can go. So they're then using those very, it's just, yeah, it's very cool. It's very fueling, fueling the fires that birds are actually government spies, right? <laughs> well, you know, that's it, yeah. It's not going to do their image very good, but it's fascinating. Oh, yes, oh, so amazing cool. stuff. So next time, well, I might have a pop at uh, the next podcast, and then part three of this series will be on... On the roots, the roots, roots. the insects take, the and insects they are take. absolutely amazing, absolutely amazing. Wow. Looking forward right. to it. Oh, one more thing. Um, we've just set up a Instagram, which is at the wildlife men, and we're going to be uh, like hosting all the, or you can go to that site to find all of our previous podcasts there. Indeed. Well remembered. Well, nice one. Yeah, find <laughs> us on there. We're so good at plugging, plugging our channel, aren't we? <laughs> perfect. Perfect. <laughs> nice one. Great stuff. See you soon, Ben. See you soon. Take care. Bye. Bye.